Thank you again. Wonderful time of worship this morning. Uh, thanks for the praise team and, and for those who are serving now in the other end with the children. We are grateful. Let's just look to the Lord in further in prayer, shall we? Heavenly Father, we are grateful that you have set your message for us in your word. While the heavens declare the glory of God and we cannot but see the myriad of stars and be amazed and awed at your greatness and your awesome power, yet it is your word which reveals who you are and what you ask of us. If we were just to rely upon the stars, uh, we would indeed be in a quandary. But we thank you for your divine revelation of your word, that you spoke and you gave us yourself, your word, your message for us. We thank you that every book in the Bible speaks of your son, the Lord Jesus, that he is the summation of all And we thank you for the book of Proverbs, the wisdom of God found in Jesus Christ. We thank you for this time together. We pray that you might open our eyes, that we might behold wonderful things out of your word, that truly your Holy Spirit will teach each one of us what we need to know, that we may go away from this place having met with the risen God. And we give you our thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Just put a little plug in for a, a new Bible that I've been enjoying since I have a few extra minutes this morning. <laughs> um, it's called the Jesus Bible. Don't know if you've seen it, but um, this is the. It's only in the new in NIV, uh, and it's a wide margin, so there's lots of room for notes. But what I really love about it is the uh, the notes that are already there, and if you just can guess from the editors that uh, this is a Bible that has got a lot of depth to it. It's edited by Louis Giglio and has articles by Randy Alcorn, Louis, Max Licato, John Piper, and Ravi Zacharias. And let me tell you something. I'm just going through it for the first time as a new way to read the scriptures and I'm just being so blessed. For the senior students... For the junior students of God's Word, highly recommend it. If you haven't got yours, you know where you can find it. <laughs> so, enough said. The challenge that I had in front of me was to speak on the topic of the future as it relates to Proverbs. And the book of Proverbs is, is an amazing book. And it certainly has much to say about the future. Future hopes and promises, uh, the expectation for the righteous, the expectation for uh, the evil, the unrighteous. Rewards and blessings and curses, yes. But the challenge of a study such as this is we're looking at a huge, large topic, uh, a wide panorama. Sometimes it's hard to see the details, and there's no way in the world that I could (laughs) speak to you on this topic and do justice to it. However, I'm going to try to do it on three three simple levels. First of all, look at the context of the book, then the 
overview of the content of the book, and finally, savor the collation of the book. By the way, the word collation, we think of it in our modern terms of collating paper and putting things in order, but the word is actually used for an informal meal that was allowed during a fast time. It was called collation. And so uh, we're going to try to savor a little bit, taste a little bit. I hope it will just whet your appetite to get into the Proverbs. Some people noticing that Proverbs is 31 chapters, attempt to read one chapter every day as part of their devotions. They do it 12 months a year. They're just steeped in the wisdom of God. But what is a proverb? I would say that Twitter, in the modern sense, probably, with 144 characters, is probably tries to encapsulate that concept. Short, pithy sayings that have something to say. Someone once said for speakers, it's better to come up and have something to say than have to say something. And it's so true that if you're an avid Twitter user or you have a social network, the last thing you want to do is just retweet other people's thoughts. You want to have something to say. And that's certainly the wisdom of Proverbs. Descartes said, to be is to do. Voltaire said, sorry, Descartes said to do is to be. Voltaire said to be is to do. And our good friend Frank Sinatra said, dooby dooby do. There are many short sayings today that would cover for our modern day Proverbs. For example, when everything's coming your way, you know you're in the wrong lane. Or, what happens when you get scared to death, half to death twice? Or, if you pour spot remover on your dog, is he now gone? Proverbs are meant to be thought-provoking, aren't they? Well, the context of the book. The book of Proverbs. It's the 20th book in the Old Testament, written largely by Solomon. Most of us know that he was the, the author of most of the... But it's rather interesting that it was just the first 24 chapters that actually Solomon penned as a collection himself. Chapter 25 through 29 was a collection of King Hezekiah's collection of the wisdom of Solomon. Chapter 30 was written by a guy by the name of Agar, or Agur, not exactly sure how his name was pronounced. And King Lemuel wrote on the subject of staying away from wine and the value of a righteous woman in, or the godly woman, in chapter 31. So we have a bit of a context for the book. But it's more than that. Let's remember, King Solomon begins in chapter 1 by saying, Oh, my son. So he's talking to one of his many sons, but hopefully the son that would become the king. So let's remember, first of all, that this was a written collection of godly instruction for a soon-to-become king. We remind you that you and I are called kings and priests of the Most High God. And that we too can profit from this discussion. Now, it's needless to say that as you read the story, the topics are are wide and various, wisdom about friends, theft, 
laziness, gluttony. They take on new meaning when you realize that here was the man who had the most wealth in the entire world talking to his son who also was about to inherit that same wealth. Unless we think that, oh, well, I'll never be as rich as Solomon. After all, he had 666 talents of gold coming in on an annual basis according to 1 Kings 5 and 15 through 18. And so much gold, I'll never be in that category. Let me remind us today, those of us who are sitting here and those who might be listening and having their residence in North America or Western world, that we occupy about the 2% of the richest portion of the world as we know it. If you have a car, you're richer by far. If you have a home, you're richer by far. Even if the bank owns three-quarters of that home, you're still richer by far than most of this world. And I'll never forget what it was like to go to the Philippines and visit those little shanties that were situated on the side of the mountain with tin roofs and two-by-fours and little light bulbs hanging and a little tiny kerosene cook stove for their stove and a, a little micro fridge and and that was and yet the people were wonderfully in love with Jesus see it's not the money and proverbs talks a lot about true wealth and that's one of the topics and he says true wealth isn't the amount of your bank account it's rather the joy of your heart and the wealth that God has brought into your life with forgiveness. So the book of Proverbs is as modern as it is today. deals with problems of life, problems that many of us will face. Debt, anger, friendship. It deals with so many different subjects. And so, let's look at some of the contents of this book. The contents of this book then. Well, as we already said, it's uh, 31 chapters. I would challenge each one of us to set a new goal to reading one chapter every, every day. But the theme of Proverbs, the fear of the Lord, is the beginning of wisdom. Let us remember that Proverbs, in and of itself, with its collection of sayings, will not get us the answers that we need. Let me explain it this way. Have you ever met somebody that was so good at remembering phraseologies and slogans and contents and even Bible verses that they had a Bible verse or or something that they could put together for every occasion? It wasn't always fitting, but they somehow managed to get something for it. Well, let's remember that The fear of the Lord, what is it? What is that fear of the Lord? Seven times in the book it says what the fear of the Lord is. And Proverbs 1.7 says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And in Proverbs 9.10 it says it is understanding. In Proverbs 8.13 it lists it as to hate evil. Pride, arrogance, the evil way, and the perverse mouth. We don't often talk about Christians hating. But in fact, part of knowing the fear of the Lord is to hate that which God hates. 
The fear of the Lord is a Pro- Proverbs 14:26 is a strong confidence, a place of refuge. It is a fountain of life, according to Proverbs 14:27. The instruction of wisdom in 15:33, but most importantly, in 1 Corinthians in the New Testament, it is Jesus. Do you want to know to get to f- the fear of the Lord? Get to know Jesus. Now you're saying. Wait a minute, this was King Solomon writing in the Old Testament. Well, how could, he, how could he know God in the same way that you and I know God? Let me remind you of his prayer. When God came to him and said, what would you have of me? What would you ask of me? And he says to God in his dream, I want wisdom. And he says, seeing that you have asked for wisdom, I'm going to give you wisdom. And he's not talking about a new set of 3,000 Proverbs. He's talking to him, I'm going to give you a relationship with me. You know, what would you rather have? Those of you who are auto mechanics, what would you rather have? A fellow who says to you, here's what I can do for you. You've got a problem with these brakes. You've got a problem with this transmission. You've got a problem with this engine. Here's what I'll do. I'll give you a choice. What would you rather do? I'll give you the manual or I'll walk you through it. I'll stand right by your side. I'll guide your every footstep. I will show you even what wrench you need for this. I know as an ex-mechanic what I would rather have. When that shop foreman came up beside me and says, let me show you how to do this, Dave. I sure appreciated those moments. And when that person said, oh, by the way, check out uh, page 86 in the manual. I'd go, where's 86? Where's the manual? You see, the Proverbs is about getting to know a relationship with the Almighty God. And 1 Corinthians 1, 22 puts it very strongly. The Jews demand signs, the Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews, foolish to the Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. He is indeed God's wisdom. And he is the author of the Proverbs. So when we read the Proverbs, let us remember that behind these is someone greater. I love it when it says in the Proverbs, answer a fool according to his folly, and the very next proverb says, answer not a fool according to his folly. Why does it do that? I just want one or the other. Don't give me both. Because it reminds us that we need to look up and say, Lord, which is it today? Do I answer this idiot or not? (laughs) Sorry if I use the word idiot and offends people, but... I'm sure the, the word fool and idiot are pretty much synonymous in this particular context. See, we are so prone to getting hardwired into sayings. I love it when you come to a stoplight and it's blinking red. And everybody's going, what am I supposed to do now? I am so used to red, green, and yellow. Now it's blinking red. Don't confuse me. And so... People are so much like that. We get programmed. And as Christians, we're so quick to get programmed. We get out of step with the Holy Spirit because we're thinking, oh God, you did it that way that time. You've got to do it that way this time. And God's saying, give me a break. I'm a little more creative than that. The Lord loves to keep us in surprise and in suspense. 
Why do you think he come walking on water to the disciples? Why couldn't he have just said, oh, wait a minute, Lord, um, Father, there's a big storm out there on the lake right now. I know because I, I allowed it to happen. Why don't I just stop it right now? And those guys are getting a little upset. They're getting a little bit disquieted out there. They're, they're asking you why their, their prayers aren't being answered. And the Father says, go surprise them. Walk on the water. Okay, okay. I'm going to be doing a lot of uphill walking. <laughs> you ever think about that? You know, waves, they're not straight, flat. There was some uphill walking that he had to do as he was walking out towards that lake about four miles out. Why does God do things that way? Because he's God. And he has the right to be God. Why did he lead the nation of Israel, all two and a half million, to the only place where the only place they could go was get drowned? A mountain on one side, a mountain on the other side, and Pharaoh's army behind and on the Red Sea in front. Because he wanted this display that you might know I am the Lord. I'm not limited. We limit we limit God so often, don't we? We do so much. The God who makes all things. And so he is the wisdom of God and the power of God. Let's look a little bit then at what the fear of the Lord does. We saw what the fear of the Lord is. Let's look at what the fear of the Lord does. It prolongs our days. I was talking to somebody who was 86 recently. And they said, I'm not really sure why I'm still around. I said, well you're actually serving in more capacity than a lot of people 10 years your, your junior, maybe even 20 years. There's people that are 66 that are not serving like you are serving right now. So I might, might I suggest that you're still here because you have a purpose, and God's saying only you can fulfill that purpose. That applies to you and me today too, every one of us here. We are immortal to the day he calls us home, and if we're fulfilling his purpose, that may be a long time. Proverbs 15:16 brings great treasure. Let me remind you that the Proverbs, there are many who have said, oh, that means that if I follow God's precepts, I'm going to be rich as in my bank account. Remember the richest man on this earth was who? Well, if you said Solomon, you were wrong. The richest man that ever walked on this earth was Jesus Christ. He owns it all. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. That's what the psalmist says. He owns it all. And yet, what does Paul say? He was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor, that we through his poverty might be made rich. And so, yes, brings great treasure, but I, I don't know about you, but I want to walk in through those pearly gates, if you can call it that way, and see a great treasure, see a huge crowd. I would love to see a huge crowd. People that have been won to Jesus because of something that we've been a part of. Because that's the only thing you can take into heaven, is others. And if we are doing anything, you know, living for pleasure, living for the pursuit of power, living for the pursuit of, of uh, whatever this world offers, if we are doing anything else, that is what Paul calls wood, hay, and stubble. And we are to live so that something of eternal value is left. And Proverbs 14, or 16, 6 says it brings a departure from evil. There are those who would say, I can be a Christian and live any old life I want. The Bible is very clear. If you name the name of Christ, you're to depart from iniquity. You're to live a different life. Not sinless. We will never be on this side of eternity sinless. 
But we are to be sinning less. We are to live a life pursued of holiness. Proverbs 19.23 says, The fear of the Lord leads to life and satisfaction. And let me tell you, there's nothing more satisfying than knowing that you're doing what God has called you, whether it's in the middle of a trench or whether it's out on the forefront witnessing, whether it's simply doing your job that God has called you to do so you can support God's work. Whatever it might be, there is nothing more satisfying than being where God's called you to be. And it says in Proverbs 22.4, he brings riches, honor, and life. So let's savor the collation of the book. In the next few minutes, we'd like to get a little potpourri and have a look at some of the things that the book of Proverbs has to say. And hopefully there won't be too much repetition because it's all about the future. First of all, the heart of man. I think Phil mentioned a little bit about the heart of man. It's used and emphasized 85 times in the Proverbs. The heart of who you are. It's the heart of you. I think it was Mark Lowry put it this way. Oh no, maybe it was no, Dr. Moon from Moody Sermons from Science. He says, cut off your hand and wow, that's not you. And cut off your arm and that's still not you. Cut off your other hand, that's not you. Cut off your other arm, that's not Now if you keep cutting, eventually it will get to you. But you're not your body. You are the one who dwells inside. And so he says, keep your heart with all diligence. Out of it spring the issues of life. Keep your heart. How can a man keep his heart? By taking heed to your word. How can you take heed to your word? By having the word of God dwell in your heart. And how can you do that? By invite the Lord who is the word to come in and surrender your life to the Lord Jesus. The sound heart is life to the body. Proverbs 14.30 Wow, a sound heart. Envy is rottenness. Do you have a problem with envy? Jealousy? If you do, it brings rottenness to your bones. A merry heart is good like a medicine, the proverb says. Why does it say that? Because the heart, when it's happy, is doing that which is God's God's intentions. And so... There is much to say about the heart of a man, the heart of a woman. Everyone who is proud of heart is an abomination to the Lord. Do you know there will never be a proud person in heaven? If you and I have anything, we call it respect. Let me tell you something. We dignify that word pride too, too often. The word pride is an abomination to the Lord. The pride of a heart. And when we start thinking that we have it, We've lost it. When we think, oh, everything is good and all the world is, owes me everything, we think that we've reached a, pitimal, a, a, a pinnacle of our, of our position, whether it be in our workplace or whether it be in our service for God, whatever it might be, as soon as we say that, we're joining forces with Lucifer himself, with Satan himself. There's nothing wrong with the Word of God which makes clear that we are to respect one another and show respect towards one another. Honor those whom honor is due. Nevertheless, that subtlety of pride is against God. God resists the pride, but gives grace to the humble. And then, of course, there's much said about the counsel to, in the heart of man, like deep water, and a man of understanding will draw it out. Much to be said about your heart 
And so many of us are living lives and you know what? Nobody knows what's going on inside, but there is one that always sees exactly what's going on. And he loves you with an everlasting love. And I love this one too. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. So which king are we talking about? King Trudeau? Another T? King Trump? Yes, both. Queen Wynne? Yes. Each one of these, we're to pray for them. And I hope you and I are daily lifting up. That's what the Scriptures teach us in in 1 Timothy 2. We're to pray for those who are in authority over us. I pray that we as a church are praying for those who are in authority because they make the rules. And when they start making rules that are in against the Word of God, it really creates problems. Some of us in this m- group know what it's like to find ourselves on the opposite side of the fence from what the rules are being said. We need to pray for those who are in authority. But the Lord can turn that heart. Isn't that wonderful? And we say, well, he can't do that. He did it with Nebuchadnezzar. If he can do it with one of the most evil despots of the entire history of the world, he can do it with any modern-day leader. So we should be praying that they would come to see the Lord and the Word of God as their standard. May that be our prayer. Of course, the thing about it is, if we have said, I can follow these rules, they're just another set of rules, I can do this. We need to realize, like Proverbs 29 says, we have heart issues. I have kept my heart pure. No, no, we can't keep our hearts pure. Our hearts are evil. Luke 6.45, the Lord Jesus, as he was describing how where's the source of evil, in Luke 6.45 he says, For out of a good treasure of a good man's heart, Good things come, but out of an evil treasure of an evil man's heart, evil things come. For out of the abundance of the heart, so a man speaks. And so it's not food that you ate that makes you clean or unclean. It's whether your heart is right with God. And so how do we get a right heart? Let's move to the second savoring, the tree of life. Did you know that there are three books that describe the tree of life in the Bible? Of course, Genesis is found in uh, the story of the Garden of Eden. And there's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. But the tree of life is a tree which those who eat, even after they have sinned, would live forever. And that is why the cherubim, the angels, were set up with, with flaming swords to prevent anyone from coming to the tree of life after they had partaken of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That tree of life causes one to live forever. And in Revelation, of course, we all know that the tree of life is spoken of having 12 fruits and on either side of the river in Revelation, the latter part of chapter 20. That is, most of us know those verses, but there are four verses in Proverbs that speak of the tree of life, and I'd like to remind you of them. Proverbs 3.18, she, wisdom, is a tree of life. Now, Solomon it's rather interesting, would personify wisdom as, as a feminine sense. There was a reason for that. The word wisdom in the Hebrew is feminine. But there's a second reason, I would think. His mother, Bathsheba, was a very wise woman. She was also an adulterer. And so that's a kind of an interesting twist. 
so that he could proclaim her as being a wise woman, but also recognize that there is the, the foolishness of adultery. And so he would say, she wisdom is a tree of life to those who take hold of her, and happy are all who retain her. A tree of life. When you come to Christ, you come to one who has given you all wisdom. James says, if you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all men liberally, and he doesn't chide you for asking. Proverbs 11.30, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. If we are to share with others, we too He that wins souls is wise. There's that evangelism. That's about the tree of life. And then, of course, Proverbs 13, 12 to 14, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but when desire comes, it is a tree of life. Has there been something you waited for for a long time and it finally came to pass and you were almost ecstatic? It finally happened. You know, we take it for granted sitting here in this audience today, most of us. But some of us remember what it was like the very first day we sat in this room. And there was a spirit of joy and thanksgiving and excitement. And it was because for three years there had been building going on in this place. And for a portion of that time we were breaking bread in the fellowship hall. Those of us remember those days, remember what a joy it was to have our first meeting in this room. And we were ecstatic. Like there was a sense of electricity in the room like you could never never put a figure... I mean, if you had a, a voltmeter going around, you'd be picking up the static charges off of everybody. It was just so electrifying. It was such a, a joyous moment. Let me tell you something. When somebody comes to faith in Christ, that too is a joyous moment. We were talking to our daughter and at the end of the conversation we discovered that our little four-year-old grandson had just accepted the Lord. And we were thrilled to pieces because the greatest joy a parent and a grandparent can have is when their children come to faith in Christ. No one wants to see them lost. And for those who still have children who are outside of the fold, let me encourage you, encourage you to get on your knees and weep before the Lord for your children. Because the Word of God, and my understanding is that when he said to the jailer in Philippi, what must I do to be saved, that jailer said in Acts 16. And he said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved and your house. Why did he put that little extra phrase there? I believe because he wants the whole house to come to faith in Christ. And you are the wedge. You are the means by which that message will come. Keep on your knees. Claim the promises of God. Don't let go. And ask the Lord to bring everyone in the fold, your children, your grandchildren, to faith in Christ. Proverbs 15.4 A wholesome tongue is a tree of life. A wholesome tongue. Those are the four terms. And you'll remember that the tree caused those who had eaten of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil to be pushed away. But now Jesus grants an offering. I'm come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And Revelation 22 says that each side of the river is the tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. Uh, By the way, I still struggle with how that works. 
how you can have every month in the Revelation when there is no sun and there is no time. But I'll leave that with the Lord to figure out when the next month happens, when there's no time. But what was lost in the garden is given back again, and it was found there at the tree of life at the cross. The way of the righteous, very quickly, do not enter the path of the wicked, but the path of the just is like a shining sun that shines ever brighter into a perfect day. What a, what a challenge, isn't it? Proverbs 12:28. But Jesus is the way. He said so in John 14:6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. He is the door. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved. And so Jesus is our way. He is the way of the righteous. Now, we have all kinds of books and helps that will guide us along the way, but let's never substitute the books and the guidance and the interpretations thereof for the ministry of the Holy Spirit and the person of Jesus Christ. Let us stay in touch with him and with his word. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. For all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. But the Lord has laid on him the iniquity, the sin of us all. Isaiah 53, 5 and 6. And so, another snippet, another savor in the Proverbs is the term trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him. He will direct your paths. He who heeds the word wisely will find good, and whoever trusts in the Lord, happy is he. You know, a good monitor for happiness is, are you trusting? Or are you simply existing? Happy is he. Does that mean that we don't have moments of sadness? Of course. But they shouldn't be the characteristic. The believer who is constantly complaining, constantly negative, constantly looking for finding fault in everyone and everything is not a really good representative of the Lord Jesus. For the Lord Jesus, the absolute pure one, the absolute infinite powerful one, could have said to every person he met, oh, by the way, I know what's going on in your life right now. But he doesn't. Instead, he lives a life of love, opens his arms and says, I love you this much, and dies on the cross. Trust in the Lord. Over and over again. You see, we, we think of Proverbs as a collection of sharp, witty, wise sayings that if you'll just follow those sayings, you'll be fine. And the king is saying, my son, It's not about the sayings. It's about the author of the sayings. Get to know Him. Get to know the Lord. Trust in Him. Follow Him. And so he could say, The fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. Every word of God is pure. He is a shield to those who put their trust in Him. And so God is always in control. God is always in control. Wow. I was looking at some reports this morning. The headlines read, 1,000 evacuated from Houston, Texas because of hurricane, the hurricane that is going through there right now. God is in control. Our response, 
pray. To pray for those who are there, going through that time. That some will hear in the midst of that torrential downpour and those terrific storms, that they will hear and see the living God and call upon Him. God is in control. A man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. That's an interesting concept. Now, for the, for, that doesn't give me justification in my own thinking to, um, to go out and um, play the Powerball. But I understand in, uh, the, recently there was a $758.7 million won uh, in August in the Powerball. The odds of winning were 292.2 million to one of being the winner. You're more likely to be killed by an asteroid. That's the odds of one, one to uh, 700,000. You're more likely to be struck by lightning while drowning. That's one in 181,83 million. You're more likely to give birth to quadruplets. That's one in 729,000. Nevertheless, someone in Massachusetts brought it the ticket and came away with 443.3 million, uh, probably because they would have probably picked out the cash option rather than doling it out over 20, over 29 years. The point of the matter is, you think that what would I do if I won the lottery? But the ironic part is, as I said before, we already have. We're living in Canada. We're living in one of the richest and wealthiest. Western worlds that you can live in. And it's no surprise that there were 30,000 plus coming across the borders in Montreal and in Quebec from Haiti and other places um, because they see this as a land of opportunity and a land of riches. And we need to keep in perspective, but we also need to keep in perspective what is really important because God is in control. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. We spoke about this. Proverbs 21.1 Like the rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. The kings of this land, be they the ones in North Korea, the ones in USA, the ones in Ottawa, the ones in Britain, the Lord can turn them any which way he so desires. And that's why Daniel said in Daniel 2.20, Blessed be the name of the Lord God forever and ever. His wisdom and might are His. And He changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and He raises up kings. We need to keep remembering that. Nothing can happen in this world without the sovereign, loving, benevolent, but holy God allowing. A German Jew from Bulgaria was being witnessed to by a Christian missionary. And he said to him, I would like your consent to become a Christian just for 24 hours. Would you do that? He said, 24 hours? I don't see how I could do that. Well, it's only 24 hours. I just want you to, to do it for 24 hours. Well, I guess I could then. So you could believe that Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary? No, I couldn't do that. Well, it's only for 24 hours. Surely you can do it for 24 hours. Oh, all right, then I will. Well, could you believe that Jesus died on the cross for the sins of the world? No, that's not possible. I couldn't believe that. But 
It's only 24 hours. After that, don't worry about it. Oh, all right. I'll wait. I'll will until tomorrow. And could you believe that Jesus rose from the dead three days later? Oh, that's crazy. Who would think of that? But it's only 24 hours. Oh, okay, I guess. It's just 24. And could you believe that Jesus rose up from the grave and ascended into heaven? Oh, that's not possible. No man can do that. But you only have to believe that till tomorrow. So that's not a hard thing to do, right? Okay, and could you kneel down and pray with me and pray to Christ the Savior right now? And the old Jew prayed, O God, Jehovah, if Christ be the true Son of God, let him save me right now. And when he arose, the Jew put his hand on his heart and said to the pastor, I feel so strange right now. Because he'd received a touch from the Holy Spirit on his soul. And the next day he came to the minister and said with a smile on his face and peace in his heart, I think I'll take him for another 24 hours. And that's exactly what the Savior wants of you. If you've never trusted the Savior, the true wisdom of God, if you've never committed your life to Him, let me assure you, you will never, ever regret coming into the family of God. The sheep never says to the shepherd, oh, I'm so sad to be here. It's so sad that you are in charge, that you lead me to green pastures, you, you take me beside the still waters, You even go before me into the very shadow of death. You are with me. The sheep never says that. The sheep just looks back at the shepherd and says, I'm so glad he knows what he's doing. And from my perspective, as this sheep would say, it's not bad at all to serve him. It's a good deal. He is a good God. We'll ask the uh, group to come forward, the praise team, and uh, conclude our time together. Thank you again. God bless you. Heavenly Father, we thank you again. As we stand here together, we pray, Lord, that that statement, I have decided to follow Jesus, That would be the heart cry of each person here. And Lord, if it is not, and there is amongst our group today some who still are holding back to surrendering their lives to you, Lord, may this be their day. We pray, Lord, that you would just cause them to seek out either myself or others who are leading in in the group, that they would seek them out. But most importantly, they would seek you and come to faith in your Son. Lord, where would we be without your Son, the Lord Jesus? We give you thanks. Bless us now as we separate, and lead us home safely. In Jesus' name, amen.